Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers enthusiastically answer your questions and give you dubious advice and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about ghost roommates on the pod in the past. We actually got an email from somebody who had a ghost roommate. I recall. 100% had had a ghost roommate. She said it took her a while to figure it out for sure, but she was suspicious from the moment her roommate walked through the door. (laughs) You're on fire. (laughs) That was your second consecutive laugh out loud dad joke. (laughs) All right. I'm working harder now. Oh, Hank, I'm so sick. I know you're very sick. I'm sorry. Oh, I've been very unwell, but I'm here making the podcast because it's usually my only chance to spend an hour with you. And I do really, really like you. Thanks. And so here I am. I would have tweeted this week. I would have tweeted, I am very grateful to Andrew Luck for all he's done for our community, and I can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah. Andrew Luck, the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, retired a couple days ago. He's 29, and he's put his body through a lot, and he felt like it was the right time to retire. And I got to say, I have so much admiration for that decision. And I'm I'm just really grateful for everything that he's done for Indianapolis in the many years that he's been here. I, I'm sorry that I cannot participate so much in the in the feelings around this thing. But what I will say is that you can't actually retire when you're 29. I imagine he will do some other things. Oh, he's going to do lots of other things because he's such a fascinating intellectually curious person. They shouldn't call it retirement. They should call it like, I'm transitioning to another career. Yeah. Yeah. Also, they should be like, I'm going to stop doing the most physically punishing job anyone could possibly imagine. I I saw people celebrating Andrew Luck on Twitter this week. Uh, One of the tweets I saw was a compilation of him getting sacked and then congratulating the people who sacked him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where he always would be was like, really good great. hit, bud. It was like, that was a good hit, big boy! 
<laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully this episode will be coming out in linear order because we've had to do a little bit of podcast pre-recording because you're going on a sabbatical, which sounds amazing. Yes, I am taking six weeks away from most work so that during those six weeks I can focus on writing, hopefully writing some fiction, but definitely writing some Anthropocene reviewed and that means that we've uh, had to pre-record uh, a little bit of Dear Hank and John. We've also got some live shows coming out. Hank's going to have a, a guest host or two. Sarah made the point to me last night that basically I just did six weeks of work in the last six weeks <laughs> on top of the regular work. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, I've, I've, I've pre-recorded most everything. So you won't really miss me or notice that I'm gone, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. but I will be gone. Okay. Hank, let's answer some questions from our listeners, beginning with this one from Aaron, who writes, Yesterday, while driving, I received a call from an 800 number. I decided to answer, what? <laughs> That's wild. That that's like the living on the edge boldest power move of 2019. Yeah, I was a little curious because I thought it was a law that spam had to come from a number that looks suspiciously like mine. <laughs> yeah, it is close to a law. Yeah, I said hello, and a recorded male voice greeted me with only one word: "Why." Why? The voice seemed to then get cut off, and then the call terminated. <gasps> oh. I've been thinking about it ever since. I bet. Should I call this number back? What are the potential risks and rewards here? Aaron, the side of caution? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Aaron, you should err on the side of caution yes. for sure here. Which you already did not do simply by answering the phone. I don't know what's going to happen when I answer a telemarketer phone call, but like, it can't be good. It's it's like going to a website, right? Where you might get a virus. Is that how it works? It's definitely going to be a, a not a great use of your time or the telemarketer's time. And <laughs> yeah. And so I'm what I'm trying to do is just maximize efficiency on behalf of everyone. The telemarketer is trying to reach a potential customer, mm -hmm. which I am not. And so <laughs> I'd rather not take the call at all. But what fascinates me about this is the the possibility, which I will admit is a faint possibility, that someone has created a telemarketing campaign that is not designed to sell things, but is instead designed to ask one simple question, why? Well, I th maybe it's a public service because we're all asking ourselves why all the time. Maybe exactly. some computer somewhere can take over that responsibility and I can stop asking why all the time and instead concentrate on watching Charlotte's Web. Yeah, and I was thinking it's probably inexpensive to set up one of these call centers that just Apparently. forces yeah. people to listen to your phone calls. Like, it can't uh -huh. be that expensive because, you know, how much money they make. And it gave me an idea, <laughs> Hank, which is maybe Ooh. we should set up a call center Ooh. where instead of trying to sell people things, mm -hmm. it's just a recorded voice that reads you a poem or tells you that you're doing great or offers you an unwanted fortune cookie fortune. I like it. I like it. Or it could tell them about Journey to the Microcosmos, our new YouTube channel, or Vlogbrothers, or Dear Hank and John, or any of our other for-profit nope, enterprises telemarketing, telemarketing that's What you've invented already <laughs> exists. Way to find a way to monetize my great non-monetary idea. Uh, gosh, got to turn it off sometimes. No, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great? Because it is so stressful to get those 1-800 calls mm -hmm. or the possible fraud calls. And wouldn't it be great if just one time on the other end of the line was a caring person right. who just wanted to read you a, a little bit of Dr. Seuss? Or just wanted to be an advocate for something that doesn't have advocates and say like, hey, you know, tap water's fine. Like, <laughs> Oh, God, that's a great idea. <laughs> I love that. 
John will pay. Just, John will pay just for this. Just call thing random to exist. people and say, you know what's, yeah, somebody need. I desperately need someone to call me and be like, your tap water's great. It's, it's great. Good. It's delicious. You need to really need to stop drinking stuff out of plastic bottles because that's I, somebody's got to make those bottles. They ain't coming for free. I actually, Hank, in the last two weeks, I have done proper exposure response therapy, which is like this OCD kind of therapy mm -hmm. to get myself to drink tap water. And it has worked. And wow. I'm never going back because I'm worried that if I stop drinking tap water again, yeah. I'm going to get stuck in the in the cycle again. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what. The tap water is great. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's great. I'm glad to hear it. It's really good. Yeah, all right. Yeah, tap water is great. And I got a uh, soda making machine so that I can add the bubbles to my own water and I can finally part ways with my uh, most expensive uh, monthly expense, which is LaCroix. <laughs> Well, somebody's got to put another nail in the LaCroix coffin. <laughs> this next question comes from Maddie, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I've recently got back to listening to the podcast after a very long time away. Can I get a quick update on what I've missed? Thanks so much, Maddie. Well, first, we're doing name-specific sign-offs now. Right. You've got to work incredibly hard these days to get a good name-specific <laughs> yeah, sign-off. Yeah. Like, the quality of name-specific sign-offs has gone way up, Maddie. Like, for you, I would suggest, for instance... My dad likes to golf, so I'm going to go caddy with my daddy, Maddie. Yeah, that would put you in the bottom 50% of the name-specific <laughs> sign-offs we get. But it's better than thanks so much, Matty. Uh, I think I worked really hard on that, and it was great. <laughs> For 12 seconds. The other thing you've missed, Matty, is that Hank and I's podcast empire has expanded oh, pretty sure. dramatically. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of what you missed, I'm not going to tell you about because we need you to listen to those episodes. You need to go ahead and download them and listen to them. I'm not going to tell you about... The 17 turkeys that talked to the person at FSU? No, you're going to have to find out about that by yourself. The secret snake, the crow that became someone's friend, all of these are waiting for you in the 160 hours of content you must consume <laughs> in order to say that you like us. That's how it works. All right, Hank, we got another question. This one comes uh, from Alicia who writes, Dear John and Hank, my three-year-old daughter Parker and I listen to the pod while I do housework, and she has a question. Hank, why is Mars your favorite planet? John, what is your favorite planet? Parker's favorite is Saturn because of its rings. Attached is a video of her saying what her favorite thing about the pod is. Planets and preschoolers, Alicia. Hank, I don't know if you got to see the attached video, but it is literally the cutest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and I would just like to play a portion of it for you. Okay. This is Parker. Do you like your Hank and John? Yes. What's your favorite part of your Hank and John? She said, uh, the Mars and... Yeah, about drinking potty water. And then the drinking potty water. <laughs> well, Parker, have I got good news for you because this episode is the potty water spectacular. <laughs> okay, it's the potty water spectacular. Also, I'm sorry about my joke about monkeys and cherries on the last podcast ah, for the kids in the audience. Ancient Probably history. Probably be okay. So here's, here's, here's a crazy thing about drinking potty water, Parker. Don't do it. Don't drink potty water. Do, do, do. It's not a million dollar idea. <laughs> oh, it's such a good way to get sick, Parker. And then mm -hmm. you get all barfy. And that's, that's not fun. No. Potty water is for dogs to drink mm -hmm. and for humans to try not to touch 
period. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's to put it's to put the potty things into. That's right. Yeah. Pee pee and poop go in there. That's it. Just the pee pee and poop. Parker, thank you so much. Anyway, this is our new podcast. Dear Hank and John for three year olds only. <laughs> Hank, why is Mars your favorite planet? It's the easiest one to do a lot of research on. It is yeah. mo the most Earth-like of the planets that isn't Earth. It's got basically the same length day. It's got not too dramatically dissimilar gravity. It's got water. It's got rocks. You could not, you won't boil alive. It's got a ground. Ground is very important where you can stand. Uh, a lot of the planets don't have that. And it just feels like it feels like this sort of door. I mean, you know, the in terms of planets, the the door to the the future of space exploration. You know, it's the it's like our first step. I agree that Saturn is probably the most beautiful of the planets, though. So I'm going to disagree with with Parker and with you. Oh, Saturn okay. is not the most beautiful of the planets, nor is Mars. Okay, the most beautiful planet. Oh, is Earth. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. Earth. I agree that Earth is the most beautiful planet. Earth is the best planet, Parker. Saturn is cool. Yeah, literally very very cold out there. Earth. Oh, it's look at the weather, Parker. Look outside at the weather. <laughs> look at all the stuff that's happening. You you wanna you wanna get your mind blown, Parker? You see all those trees out there when you look outside? Those are made out of air. Yeah. Those trees took air and turned them into themselves. It's true. Earth, man, what a planet. Yeah, Earth makes me hungry just thinking about it. It's got all the food. <laughs> that is the uh that is the ultimate problem with humans. <laughs> <laughs> we look at Earth and we think, hmm, that tree looks delicious. Think I'll cut it down. Uh speaking of John, this next question is about tree parts. Great. And comes from Liz, who asks, Dear Hank and John, if life doesn't also give you sugar, water, and ice, won't your lemonade be bad? Just wondering, lemons and lions, Liz. I have a lot of problems with this aphorism that it, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Yeah, it may be the worst aphorism. My like first problem with it is that like lemons are great. When life gives you a saleable product that like people <laughs> want and buy, lemons are good. Right. They're like people work very hard to create them with the help of trees. I've personally spent the last two years, and this is true, making three lemons. <laughs> it is hard work to make a lemon. Yeah. yeah. If life gave me lemons, I would be so grateful because my flipping <laughs> lemon trees don't give me lemons. And then there's the, uh, the uh, of course, the other problem, which is that like when life gives you lemons, it didn't also give you a bunch of sugar and you can't make lemonade without a bunch of sugar. Right. There's the problem with lemons just being a bad example of what you're trying to say. But the bigger problem is with the metaphor itself, which is supposed to be like when things are terrible, take the terrible thing that happened to you and turn it into something delicious. But you can't do that if you aren't also given the ingredients to turn it into something delicious. Mm -hmm. And like some suffering, in fact, I think a lot of suffering just sucks. Yeah. And like maybe there's meaning that you can find in it. Maybe there's connection you can find in it. And I, and I hope that there is. But like it still sucks. And I feel like to minimize it by saying like – Oh, no, like every bad thing that happens is just like yeah. lemonade waiting to happen. Yeah, I feel no. like I, I, I feel like that's just not true. And like it diminishes 
how difficult it is when things go bad. Yeah, like if life gives you a bunch of dog poop, you can't make dog poop aid. I bet you could. I guess you could make dog poop aid. Parker, but like are you listening? now you've got dog poop aid, which is not better. Like put a bunch of water and sugar in dog poop. It's exactly as bad as it was before. Maybe worse. Uh, I mean, it's it's gonna taste better. <laughs> but I agree with you that all the underlying problems of eating dog poop aid or drinking it would still be there. And also my stomach is turning. <laughs> yeah. It's like a bunch of kids with dog poop aid stands on the side of the road. Parker, do not. This is not a good idea. I mean, you've had a lot of bad business ideas, Hank, but that might be the worst. <laughs> Come to my dog poop aid stand. It's a metaphor for what suffering is really like. You'll love it. Don't drink it. It's a dollar. Which reminds me, it's time for a million dollar idea. Another million dollar idea. This person put it on the internet, so it's probably not a million dollar idea. It's from Brandon, who says, million dollar idea, Venmo for tithing. Isn't that just Venmo? Can't you Venmo? Can you Venmo a church? I'm sure that you can. Yeah. That's not a, first off, that's not a million dollar idea because who's going to make money from it? Only Venmo. And I feel like they're already making yeah. a bunch of that money. Right. Well, I, I, I imagine that the church would make money. Maybe the, it would increase the, the amount of tithing happening. The problem is, do you have to put like a big like QR code on the side of the pulpit? Because that's a little gauche. I mean, I have to say that I've always found the whole process of like stopping church for 20 minutes to raise money for the church a little weird. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to but, me. I also understand that, you know, like th that's a big part of what churches do. And Hank, as you know, we are very inspired by the, I the idea of tithing mm -hmm. because it's a percentage instead of like rich people being able to say like, oh, I gave a million dollars to charity this year. I'm so fancy. Name a building after me. Mm -hmm. uh, by making it a percentage, you're saying like, well, it's not really about whether it's it's a million dollars. It's really about whether or not you gave in a way right. that was impactful for you and in a way that reflected, you know, the ways that you've benefited from all of the structures mm -hmm. that have built up around you. Yeah. So we believe in tithing and we call it secular tithing. Anyway, I uh, I think Venmo is great, but I think somebody <laughs> yeah. already invented that. Is yeah, the problem. I, pr I bet there's already a thing that exists. So I'm going to go ahead and put it out there that this is a zero dollar idea. It's a little bit like if you said, well, Uber, but for getting rides home from the airport. Yeah. <laughs> This next question comes from Nora, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I collect coin banks, usually as souvenirs. Recently, I went to Mexico and I acquired a small cat-shaped coin bank. Usually? You, I don't know. Sometimes I acquire them as weapons. This is a small <laughs> cat-shaped coin bank. Uh, this and all of the other banks I found in Mexico lacked the hole in the bottom where the cork would go so you could retrieve your money. Instead, the bank just has the slot in the top and no way to get the money out. What am I supposed to do with it? Penny for your thoughts, Nora. Nora, this is how all piggy banks used to be. Yes. This is the idea of the piggy bank. You have to put your money somewhere where you can't get it. And if you yeah. need it, get it. You have to need it bad enough that you will destroy something beautiful. That That is it. You, you build the piggy bank until <laughs> the piggy bank is full. Yeah. And you decide, I guess it's worth it. To crush my piggy bank forever. Yeah. 
so that I can have this money. But in Mexico, they are still doing it the traditional way. I, I didn't even know about the piggy bank with the removable cork in the bottom. Yeah. Until I was at least 25 years old. I got a piggy bank with a removable cork in the bottom and I was like, this is a bunch of BS. Has the world gotten so soft that now we can no longer destroy a ceramic object because we need money? Wow, we've really got an old man yells at cloud situation <laughs> going right now. I really do. Yeah. Hank Green uh, like, saying millennials are so soft. <laughs> they won't break open their own piggy bank. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't break a piggy bank. It's dangerous. There will be shards, ceramic oh shards. They'll the, be sharp. This is the worst hot take. <laughs> not <laughs> no, not since the last time I was on Twitter have I seen a hot take this misguided. Oh, I'm going to tweet it right now. Oh, God. Oh, a sizzling hot take. It's sizzling. You youth. People may not like it and they may not retweet <laughs> it, but a lot of them are going to reply to it and then people will just be a little little more outraged and annoyed and unhappy than they were 45 seconds ago. Right. And the Amazon will still be burning. This is the hill I will die on, apparently. You have picked both the smallest and the dumbest hill <laughs> of all. This podcast, obviously, is brought to you by really dumb, really small hills. They're <laughs> everywhere, and they have so many defenders. Be one. It really is kind of the <laughs> defining feature of our podcast. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Tap Water. Tap Water. Delicious and in almost all cases, safe. And also, this podcast is brought to you by Dog Poop Aid. Ugh. Dog Poop Aid. Not good and in all cases, not safe. And lastly, today's podcast is brought to you by Sarah and John's Lemon Tree. Sarah and John's <laughs> Lemon Tree. Producing two to three lemons per two to three years. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week, and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house, and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. <laughs> for six years. Oh, boy. All right, this next question comes from Emma, who writes, Dear John and Hank, should I get bangs? I like the idea of bangs, but I'm not sure if I want the commitment of bangs. Thanks, Emma. Mm, I understand. Y'all got to work on your name-specific sign-offs. First of all, I just love the word bang 
And I love that it's also a hairstyle. And I've looked it up, yeah. John, because of course I did. And it appears to be uh, because of the abruptness of the bang, oh. like w- immediately without delay, bang off. Yeah. Um, and so right. you just, you bang, they're just like, bang. It's like the hair is like, I'm here and bang, I'm not here anymore. Boom. Yeah. They, like we could have called them booms, but we didn't. We called them bangs, which is better. Yeah. I love it. Language does a pretty good job most of the time. So when Sarah and I met, We were in high school and Mm -hmm. we did not know each other, Mm. but Sarah had bangs in high school and they were super cute bangs. And then flash forward like uh, 10 years, we meet in Chicago, we fall in love. She doesn't have bangs. And then at some point she says, I think I maybe want to get bangs again. She got bangs. (laughs) They were awesome. (laughs) Did a great job of framing her face. Okay. And then like two years ago, she was like, I don't think I want bangs anymore. And so she grew out her bangs and now she doesn't have bangs and it still looks great. All of which is to say... It's going to look great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say that in the transition periods between bangs and no bangs, there is that period where Catherine is unhappy because it's it's hard to control. Right. You need more hairpins, I think. Uh, not that I'm super up. Uh, we are probably not the right people to be asking. You should have asked dear Catherine and Sarah. We are the perfect people to be asking. Uh, I've had bangs my whole life. That's true. <laughs> but the uh, the easy switch is from no bangs to bangs. That's immediate. That It's so immediate that you might even call it bang. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. The switch from bangs to no bangs, there should be a different word for it. Yeah, like, it's called slung. Oh, that's good. I like that. It's the slowest possible word you could you could imagine. Apparently, the word bang was first used for horses. Oh. When you would cut their tails short, that was called a bang tail. Bang. All right, Hank, this next question comes from Laura, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I made this email address, iHeartBooks536, when I was 12. I loved it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but now it's pretty embarrassing to, you know, tell a bank teller my contact information. I'm an adult woman at this point, and changing my email address would be a large undertaking. Do I change it? I heart books, Laura. <laughs> Look, Laura, my guess is that you still like books and 536, according to the science magazine, was the worst year to be alive. So stick with it. <laughs> no, there's no, no. Something like 44,000 BC was the worst year to be alive. <laughs> uh, apparently, medieval historian Michael McCormick believes that the worst year to be alive was 536. Listen, I'm sure it was horrible. <laughs> There's no way it was worse than like 45,000 BC. Yeah. But that, that's not what we're here to talk about, Hank. We're here to talk about iHeartBooks 536 and whether it's an acceptable email address. The truth is, Laura, it could have been so much worse. Like, yes, if you think about most 12 year olds, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heart books 536 is probably in the top 1% of email addresses. Yeah. But like all those people with worse email addresses changed them because they were like, this is terrible. I have to change it. And it, it. is. You're right. I heart books 536. It was good enough to hold on to. Right. So now you're in a predicament. Hank, do you remember our email addresses were just like a random string of numbers at CompuServe.com? But yeah. you remember your first like username that would have been your email address? Uh, yeah, I also remember my first email address and I'm not telling anyone it. It's that embarrassing. It's that embarrassing. And also, if you Google it, you find old stuff I've written, which I do not oh, want the world to God, know about. Oh, God, that's the nightmare. Yeah. No. 
All yeah. right, I'm not sharing mine either now that you've not. Nope. <laughs> Great. Mine was also embarrassing, and I'm also not sharing it. I've got. Oh, me, God. Now, I got, now I'm going to Google myself. Hold on. I'm so scared. I'm, I got to put it oh, in quotes. I've got great news. One of my first ones does not yeah. have anything on the internet. So I can tell you that it was S R S P A N K Y G. Sir Spanky G. Oh God. Uh, my mine is on the internet, and I'm not sharing it. And also, <laughs> I feel like I might have a panic attack. <laughs> not totally kidding. Oof, boy, the internet. All of which is to say, Laura, that it is time to change your email address. I know it's a lot of work, but it almost allows you to become like a new person. So you're not going to be iHeartBooks 536 anymore. You're going to be iHeartBooks 1991. Which was. <laughs> Much better year than 536. That's going to be great. Yeah. That was a way better year than 536. Yeah. No Icelandic volcanoes dropping the global temperature. This next question comes from Geraldine, who asks, Dear Hank and John, why do I get the random urge to get my life together in the middle of the night? This always happens. And I wonder, <laughs> why is it at that time? Pumpkins and penguins, Geraldine. I'm so right with you on this. Me too. Like I wake up at like two in the morning. Or right as I'm going to sleep. And I'm like, should I do stuff? I can't imagine it's anything but brain chemistry. And I can't do it anymore because now I have to wake up at a specific time because there's a person who depends on me to live. Yeah, that's what stopped me from doing it. It used to be that if I got that feeling at like 1130 at night, I would mm -hmm. be like, all right, well... We'll see how this goes. I guess that's and what I'm doing then. It didn't go that well most of the time. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, especially late at night, I am connecting ideas that feel deeply connected to me. Yeah. And then when I try to write them in the, ne the next day or whatever, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I guess <laughs> that's not really there. I agree. But a couple times it has happened for me in like two different ways. One way is like my inspiration is like, oh, my God, my office is such a mess and I feel like doing something about it. And that it's not going to be a bad idea in the morning to clean my office. And then also in the second way where like sometimes it really is a good idea and like it was worth getting out of bed at two in the morning and like writing all that stuff down. Oh, yeah. I have one glaring example of that, which is that after more than a year of not having an ending to The Fault in Our Stars and writing a million different endings, each more ludicrous than the last, mm -hmm. I was falling asleep one night and my eyes shot wide open and I said, this is not hard. He left her a letter. Right. And Sarah was like, what? And I was like, Bye. this is not hard. <laughs> Why did I make this hard? Yeah. And that was it. I was done. <laughs> like, I mean, there was the small matter of, you know, writing. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get those moments very often in life. And when you do, they are so like neurologically addictive that I, I have been seeking a moment like that. <laughs> For the last seven years, every day. Yeah. It wasn't even like a clever or difficult thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just like it hadn't occurred to me. Well, John, here is a question from Maya that is about writing. Maya asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm writing a book right now and I keep getting stuck on one issue. How do I make time pass in my stories? I don't always just want to be like the next Monday or three days later. But if I don't put in time markers like those, it feels like everything happens in one day or some vague amount of time. How do I create the feeling of time passing? The fabric of space and time is unraveling Maya. This question reminds me of something my mentor Eileen Cooper told me once, which is that the hardest thing to do in a novel 
is get a character from one room to another. Yeah. When you start to think about like the mechanics of <laughs> how do you walk them there? What's the door? It, it, you could just you could get overwhelmed very quickly. Mm-hmm. I actually think that three days later or the next Monday are often really good time markers after a space break or at the beginning of a chapter mm-hmm. just to say like, hey, this is when this is occurring. Right. And it doesn't like people aren't going to be reading your book with a calendar in front of them being like, I got to make sure everything lines up. But making sure everything lines up does make it feel more logical. And when yes. people read like two weeks later, they put themselves in the mind space of two weeks later. And there are really creative and interesting ways that some writers have done this. And like they they have used tremendous craft and like it's worth doing for them. But sometimes it's not worth doing. And sometimes it's just like two weeks later, which is all I do. I'm just like, for the first three months, I did this. And then I did this. It's sort of like give an idea of what happened in those three months. Yeah, I think that's actually where most of the craft comes in is that there are certain ways to say, for instance, over the next three months, comma, I did this and this and this, and to write about it in a way where you can feel the arc of those three months very quickly. Mm-hmm. And when when it's done well, that's usually wh- how I see it get done. And like, if I know more about what happened during that time, that's not necessary to the story. No reason to say it out loud. Yes. And indeed, if you don't say it out loud, you don't know it because all that exists is the text. Oh, boy. Just wanted to get that in there. <laughs> and Tyler asks, Dear Hank and John, I recently had the song Take Me Out to the Ball Game" stuck in my head. When the line, I don't care if we ever get back, came up, I began to wonder, what does that even mean? Not a roofer, not a gardener, but a Tyler. Now that's a sign-off. There it is. There it is. So... Here are the lyrics of Take Me Out to the Ball Game, which okay. for those of you who are not Americans, <laughs> you've probably never heard before. Yeah. It's played during the seventh inning stretch because baseball games are so long <laughs> that it's necessary to have a mandated stretch period. Where you get up and move around. So you don't get deep yeah. vein thrombosis. <laughs> and the the middle ver- chorus of this song is the only one that's ever sung. And, and it is, take me out to the ball game, take me out to the crowd, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Okay. Or, according to some people, I don't care if I ever get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame for it's one, two, three strikes you're out at the old ball game. <laughs> I think we're referring to never get back to the place from which I came, my house or my apartment. Right. Yeah, we're going to go to the ball game and it's they're going to be tied in the ninth inning. And in baseball, you just keep playing when that happens. Yeah. And so they're just never going to not be tied at the end of the inning and I will never get back. Right. There was once a baseball game that lasted 17 days why not a baseball game that lasted for 500 years? Was there actually a baseball game that lasted 17 days? No, I was just trying to sneak in a fake fact. <laughs> <laughs> the longest uh, professional baseball game was 33 innings and it lasted eight hours. But just for clarity, that's not usually how it goes. No, usually they last nine innings <laughs> and eight hours. <laughs> but yeah, it's about spending the rest of your life at the ball game and how desirable a thing that would be. For some people. Do you know what the score of that 33 inning baseball game was? Six to four. It was three to two. 
<laughs> the only way that could possibly be worse is if it was zero to one. <laughs> oh, that's just excruciating. The real heroes were the people in the stands. I mean, what people? <laughs> it was four o'clock in the morning. Oh, God. That does that's, sound yeah. horrible. I bet the people at that baseball game in 1981 were no longer singing, I don't care if we never get back. They were they were like, I, it turns out I care. Oh, God. Well, Hank, speaking of sports, it's uh-huh. time for the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I would love to deliver some really great AFC Wimbledon news. Gosh, it's stressful. And in a way, I have, well, if not good news, at least news, which is that after losing uh, three of our first four league games two to one, uh, we went to Sunderland and we lost three to one. So that's a nice <laughs> turn of events. In almost all of these games, we have been winning before we ended up losing. Yeah. Or in the case of, of a single game, tying. Mm-hmm. So now, after four league games, AFC Wimbledon have just the one point. <laughs> which is not great. Despite the fact that we have just the one point, we are somehow still out of the relegation zone. You are scoring goals, which is good. Yes, we have a variety of goal scorers. We have not been as dependent on Joe Piggott this year. Kwesi Apaya has scored a few goals and has looked pretty good, actually. It just, you know, the truth is in every game, we even the ones where we've been ahead, We've been behind in the sense of having the least possession, the fewest shots, the fewest passes, low pass accuracy. Pretty much by any measure, Mm -hmm. it's not going great. And that is, I don't know, it's a real concern for me. And I'm I'm worried. It's the most worried I have been since last August. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Okay. It's the most worried I've been. In August, in like five years. Okay. Now, I've definitely been this worried in April. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bad start. I've been this worried every April, but this is the this is early to be this worried. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. We'll see if we can turn it around. Well, in Mars news, John, a rock rolled across the surface of Mars for about three feet. It's a rock the size of a golf ball, and it rolled across the surface of Mars when the NASA InSight spacecraft landed. And uh, so, like, the thrusters pushed it a little bit. We've taken a picture of this rock now. And because it is the rock that has rolled the farthest because of a, of a spacecraft landing that we know of anyway, we have named that stone. And Robert Downey Jr., went on stage at the Rose Bowl as the opening announcement during a Rolling Stones concert to announce that this rock had been named in honor of the Rolling Stones. It's named (laughs) Rolling Stones Rock. It is a stone that rolled, but they didn't just name it the Rolling Stone. They named it Rolling Stones Rock because there's a lot of stuff that goes into how we name rocks on other planets. Uh, and <laughs> they, couldn't, that... they couldn't call it a stone. I can only imagine the like NASA meeting where somebody was like, hey, we should really name it the Rolling Stone, you know, because of the Rolling Stones. And I bet they'd like that. And then somebody else was like, well, sure, if it were a stone, but it isn't. It's a rock. <laughs> 
I think you're not wrong about how that works. Uh, I haven't done a lot of research on how rock naming works, but I don't think that we can call them stones. I think that they have to be called I would rocks. love, love, love to hear from someone who is in that room, but I suspect it's a <laughs> Hamilton-like situation. Sure. Where we're just never going to be in that room. Yeah, I don't, yeah. But that's the news from Mars, I guess, is a rock. I mean, I'm I'm psyched that a rock you know, moved on Mars, even if we know why. It's still kind of exciting. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like life. Well, John, thank you for making a podcast with me. Thank you. And I actually feel less sick than I did when we started. So your voice has curative properties. Oh, I'm sure that's what it is. If you want to send us questions here at Dear Hank and John, you can do that. Hank and John at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who sends in questions, because what kind of podcast would it be without those? This podcast is a co-production of WNYC Studios and Complex. It's edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communication is Victoria Bongiorno. The music you're hearing now at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.